girls I join Good day, Amarin. And how are you today? I'm well today, Jesse. Today is a good day. How are you? I'm great. Welcome, everyone, to Cults I Join, the podcast where we tell you about cults we join or that we have already joined, depending on the day. And sometimes cults we wouldn't join. Oh, for sure. Let's be clear <laughs> about that. <laughs> uh, occasionally one of those. I have no idea what today's topic is yet, because that's how we like to do things around mm -hmm. here most of the time. But... Sometimes we wouldn't join them. The jury is still out on today. Can't wait yeah. to find out. Uh, I'm pretty predictable. Amarin's a mixed bag. <laughs> I like to keep you guessing. Is she in? Is she out? Who's to say? Mm -hmm. You won't know until the final five minutes. That's All right. right. Amarin, are you, are you ready for today? I, uh, I'm pretty excited to share it with you. It's a classic. Uh -huh. This one's an American classic. Oh, good. Okay. So I am very excited. I was going to be excited either way, but this has been, this season has been such a fun mix of cults that I have not heard of, groups that I've not heard of and, and like at all, and also mm -hmm. people that I'm like very familiar with. So I'm really interested. I feel like we're overdue for one that I'm like really familiar with and guessing the second that you start talking. So maybe okay. that's today. I'm excited to see. All right. I, I'm going to give you some rapid fire uh, hints. Yes. This is guessable for you. I'm certain. I'm not certain. I just wanted to manifest that. That was a weird, <laughs> weird manifestation. <laughs> the secret, a cult we've joined. You're manifesting is what I mean. Oh, yes. Yes, I am. I was like, I was like, that's, that's the, the clue. Wait, I don't have any. No. So you're like, <laughs> I was like, go. Uh, okay. all right, all right, all right. Okay. That. All right. <clears throat> Are you ready for your clues? Clue number oh, yeah. one. All right. Uh, yes. Talking lizards. Talking lizards. Okay, good. Okay. Good hand okay. number one. Staying staying in. I have an ideas. I have an Golden ideas. tablets. Oh, I'm in. I got it. What is it? Should we do another should we do another guess? I know what it is just because <laughs> golden tablets. Um, uh, seeing this, stones. Oh god, yes. Yes. Okay. This is a big day for me. Are we talking about Probably not our Lord and Savior Joseph Smith and the Latter Day Saints. Correct! Yay! Yes! <laughs> oh my gosh! The most. Oh boy! This is exciting. I need to put my um. I need to put my cap on for this is a a currently very commonly practiced religion, and this mm. is different from some of the other groups we've talked about in that it has a massive, um, not audience, um. Following. Know, following. That's yes. thank you. Not a, yes. Group that, that are involved with it. But very exciting. One of the youngest religions in history right now. One of the youngest, of course, religions in the United States history. A truly US religion. My yep. God, like the most American religion you could ever look at. And I mean that historically, not yep. religiously. Um and some absolute zaniosity you would not believe i oh, can't wait. man oh they got all kinds of insanity going on over here good and bad so fun so fun so occasionally unhinged yes <laughs> and and word to the wise amarin uh mormonism is the number it's the fastest growing religion in the united states yes i did know that actually yeah. i I'm a bit, I don't want to make myself sound weirder than I am, but the the Mormon religion, um, the Church of the Latter-day Saints, they 
are one they are a group that i am deeply interested in and consume like a high level of information and same same like anything i I can see a lot of books i watch a lot of documentaries and shows and i have friends close friends that are ex-mormons i have friends that are current mormons so it's a we got a full range i'm very excited to talk about it yay okay all right, let's jump into the Mormons, or as they prefer to be called, the Latter-day Saints. So yes. let me just say off the bat, first of all, Mormons slash Latter-day Saints who might be listening to this, this is called Cults We Would Join. You guys actually have to contend with people often calling your religion a cult. It's we true. don't think this is a cult any more than we think being a Baptist is a cult or being a Catholic is a cult. Now, we could call all those things cults, and in that way, we're lumping you in, but we're not making you any more or less than any other mainstream religion. So please Absolutely know that off the true. bat. Absolutely true. And if you don't know this, we've also talked about the religions that we are associated with most closely in the same terms. So this is very much just a one size fits all for cults I join. We (laughs) think you're probably a cult. That's the truth of the matter, period. Uh, Also, like that is a kind of a compliment coming from us. It is. Here's something before we dive into this. This was something that I just realized this week. So when I started forming this podcast, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I specifically didn't go look at any other cult oriented podcasts because I didn't want to be influenced by them, either to accidentally mimic them or to turn away from ideas I had because somebody else may have already done something. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to make what I wanted to make and do it without the influence of other people in the same genre. So that said, I actually didn't know really what was out there in the world of culty podcasts. And so just this week, uh, I decided to look around a little bit and find out like who else is in kind of the same genre that we are. And (laughs) Again, this shouldn't come as a surprise to me, but it does. And this is why I'm trying to pull myself out of cornering people at parties to tell them about cults I love, because I learned that I think we're the only uh, what you might call pro cult podcast. We are definitely from all the research and and listening that I have done. And I've listened to some really fun different podcasts that we'll have to talk about sometime in like a recap episode that are cult related or adjacent. Uh But yeah, like I... There are some creative approaches that come close to the idea of talking about like what's really going on inside the communities and trying to get an idea. But the concept of like, could this one get me at the right moment, you know, or would I willingly walk in? Truly, I think we may be without peer on this. (laughs) And that's that. That's you're talking about yourself being cynical. My platform is here is a cult I would join. That's true. That's very true. Yes. (laughs) It, it is a, um, yeah, certainly the highly pro-cult agenda is not one represented in podcast lists. <laughs> I didn't. Again, I thought everybody was on the same page as me. But again, not a lot of... Not a lot going on on a Friday night for me. So maybe I... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's true. We definitely are are breaking some ground here. I feel like also... I was really worried that this would be challenging for people to wrap their heads around. Whenever we started recording season one, I was like, oh. I don't know if this is going to like resonate with people. Like I'm oh, uh-huh. that they'll hear this and they'll be like, there was, there was a lot of time that I was anxious that people would hear the, the pod and they would be like, 
oh my gosh, these people are promoting a bunch of weird stuff. I like, worried about that too, yeah. And like, oh my gosh, they're like not taking anything seriously. Like yeah. they're not yeah. smart people. But really like, and I, we know we've talked about this at length in the past and other episodes, but like really it's almost like an intellectual exercise in and of itself of thinking about these different groups of people and the things that affect them and that environment and putting yourself into that space and really thinking about it in an honest way based off your personal experiences, which isn't, it's a critical thinking thing, you know, like that's not right. something that we necessarily do that much. And I think that the concept of considering joining like a counter group, counterculture group or something like that, it can seem really scary or like, negative mm -hmm. and it's actually not it's like so low-key like it really is like people think it's a huge deal to join the Amish for instance uh -huh. and it is a big deal to join the Amish but like in a different way right not in the way think. that they're thinking yeah like exactly they're not, they're not like getting their tentacles into your brain and getting a life no. contract on you yeah exactly like in reality be taking part in a lot of these groups would look like having dinner with these people, right? <clears throat> or going to church with them or some variety of it. So I just, I think it's really interesting. And really the, full, the only other thing I want to say before we get into it is from, from my end is that that's not been the case. My concern was that people would not get it and would struggle with the idea of like, oh my gosh, these people are so weird. They just want to join all these groups or they're just talking about these mm -hmm. silly things and they don't get it. But I feel like people absolutely 100% got it like immediately so sorry listeners for underestimating you because it seems yeah. like you completely grasped it all all at once <laughs> also really I too extend my apologies we did not give you guys enough credit or maybe ourselves who's to say all right well I so I just wanted point. to say hey Mormons I know you get called a cult a lot and you get othered <laughs> a lot we are not othering you in that way so not yet. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're not othering you in that way. <laughs> we think you're great. Okay, let's dive into it. I've got a fair amount of reading to do, so I'm going to kind of plow through it here. Get in there. Um, first of all, I'm going to give you the theological history of the Mormons. You know, they started out in the 1830s and 40s in nowhere other than the Upper East Coast around the New York area, because as we remember, that's the burnt out section of the country during that time, because right. who else was going crazy there? Well, everybody. But Oneida was forming at the same time. That yeah. was our very first episode. Uh, just up and down the coast, just revival, revival, revival. And so uh, this was one of many, many, many new religions springing up in that area at that time. It's just that this one caught a foothold where the others um, faded out which I think is really interesting. Um, so the birth of Mormonism centered on one man, Joseph Smith Jr., born in 1806 and died in 1844, which I'm real bad at math, but I think that means that he did all of this and managed to still die at the age of 38. Um, you're right, which is also the age that Jesus died at, right? No, he died at 36. 30, um, 33, 33, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Never mind. Yeah, but he did. Joseph Smith died really, really young. <laughs> yeah, that's super young, um, especially for like the amount of influence he managed to have. A farmer from the region of Western New York known as the Burned Over District because, it's, because of its unrelenting religious enthusiasm. Um, it was launched in 1830 with the publication of the Book of Mormon, the sacred text which became the foundation for the new religion. As Smith told the story seven years earlier, the angel Moroni had appeared to him 
uh, and told him of a book written on golden plates and buried in a hill outside Manchester, New York. Then on September 22nd, 1827, after other visitations from Moroni, the plates were turned over to Smith. Over the next 24 months, Smith and a few trusted associates using special ancient seer stones translated the Egyptian hieroglyphs of the plates into English. When they had finished this arduous task, Smith reported as arranged uh, and that he delivered the plates back to the angel. So, mm-hmm. all right, Joseph Smith, little bit. Oh, you gave the plates back. Where are the plates? I gave them back to the angel. But okay. All right. Look, this is a key. We're all, in, we're all in. It's a key problem. I'll just make one note to say that this is a key problem in, in theology. And I'm not being silly uh, when I say this either. I'm being very serious. Um, when you look through the Latter-day Saints um, history, the whole plates never being seen by anybody else, but just like disappearing um, or being conveniently handed off comes up lots and does feel questionable and for people that have cynicism towards the religion i know this is a big a big claim that comes up a lot of times so i just wanted to throw that out there (laughs) yeah and the big thing you know and maybe this is why mormonism stayed and and other things faded but the big thing about the book of mormon that you know quakerism had its own foundational book um lots and lots of lots and lots of religions had their own foundational book, but all of the others were like, here's a book I compiled to explain this new religion I'm working on. And Joseph Smith said, this is the fulfillment of the Bible. This is an equally sacred text to the Bible. Um, That is very different than like a, a, God revelation book is very different than like a dude who wrote a book. So that's the big thing that separated his religion from all the others. Um, Let's see. He called it a wholly new dispensation of scriptural truth that God working through the angel Moroni had chosen uh, as his earthly vessel, Joseph Smith and had delivered to humankind. The book of Mormon possesses the same canonical standing as the old and new testaments for Mormons. Um, This also meant that the Book of Mormon built directly on the promises and predictions of the earlier texts of the Bible. It was the, quote, sealed book described in the book of Isaiah, and the appearance of it signals the coming of the end times predicted in the book of Revelation. Thus did the Mormons identify themselves as the saints or the new Israelites called out from the Gentiles to usher in the millennium. Because as you know, you don't have a religion if you haven't decided you are the Israelites and the world is at an end. Yes. Yeah, that's, it's another, the world is at an end (laughs) moment. Uh, We're back again. (laughs) We'll be there every effing time. (laughs) We'll be there every week, friends. Um, The end of the world threat is part of being in a cult. Um, In the broad definition of cult, of course, that we're operating in under, it even comes up with Young Living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Cults I Join, where the world is always at an end, regardless of our point on a timeline. Honestly, a good motto for Cults I Join is where the world is always at an end. <laughs> <laughs> right. For sure. So uh, the world is, so they're millennialists only in the last uh, century instead of the more recent one, right? So they're looking at the world ending at the end of that century. All our people have been looking at the world ending at the end of when 2000 came in and I guess we're all now angling for the world ending at the next century. One can only assume. 
Um, but that's what mm-hmm. they're doing there. So okay. also they claimed that their religion was the only true and living church upon the face of the earth. So that was prop that ended up being a problematic proclamation for them. Um, so there they are on the East coast. They've started this new religion. It's from hieroglyphs that they translated from the angel Moroni on golden tablets that he dug up and then gave back. That's where we're at. Yes. Uh, oh, and he read them with seeing stones so that he could interpret what was going on there. Um, just as they were kind of amassing out on the East coast, they, this is, remember we're talking about the 1840s, right? Mm-hmm. So we have the Western movement of just about everybody because there's just almost literally infinite land available to people if they just go. Right. So they right. decide as a new church, they're going to go um, right around this time. Joseph Smith adds in his last commandments and revelations uh, in which he announced the key revelation concerning celestial marriage under which saints marriages were sealed for eternity uh, and the practice mm-hmm. of plural marriage, which was necessarily a part of that. So we Very all know that importantly a part of that. Yes, we all know that LDS is inextricably linked with polygamy. LDS people everywhere are shouting at their monitors uh-huh. right now to make sure that everybody knows that LDS is no longer a polygamous church. They have split from that doctrine. We'll get there. Um, but no one can argue that it is the foundation of the foundation. So no. Again, that's a compliment coming from me. I love polygamous marriage. So I'm not being mean to you at all, guys. But very, very clear, LDS is not a polygamist organization at this point. All right. So that is the religious history. The U.S. history uh, going on at the same time is that off they go west. I I spent a lot of time getting all these dates and and battles and stuff written down. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to say, as they go west, they pick several points of settlement. At every point of settlement, they build an elaborate temple. They start doing pretty darn well because they're good workers and they're good farmers and they're good communitarians. Uh, They get run out of town for a couple of reasons. Um, The most notable place that they stopped, in my opinion, was Jackson County, Missouri, because that was going to be their Zion. And they also decided that the the new Jesus would be born there Mm -hmm. um, or their their greatest prophet would be born there. Side note, just as an aside, uh, guess who was born in Jackson County, Missouri? It's me. You are. So. Well, FYI, FYI, LDS. It's a, it's a really important, <laughs> another equally important thing to bring up, I would say. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. So yes. Um, in all of these places, they were chased out in one of these places, places, Joseph Smith and his brother were murdered. Um, this would actually, let me just be clear. Let me read this one little part. Mormons. First of all, we're a voting block, which was problematic when they moved into a place because they could really affect the politics of the place. And so people did not like that because they did. So it's not like maybe the Baptist street up the road, church up the street is a voting block because they all think similarly in the LDS church. Even then, they were very strictly hierarchical and the um the leadership said, this is how you'll vote. And and the congregation obeyed, which is a different thing than other churches are supposed to do, at least. Don't get me started. Um, (laughs) 
And so the, the fact that they were a voting bloc continued to be a big deal. In 1844, Smith, who had revealed a plan for organizing the kingdom of God on earth with himself as king, um, declared his candidacy for president of the United States. He was promptly arrested, dragged from jail and murdered by townsfolk along with his brother. Um, so sad. very sad. Yeah. Super sucks. Um, not a surprising outcome, but a shitty outcome. Yes. Um, so there were several times where they were chased out. Obviously, at this particular point, he and his brother were murdered. But even outside of that, there was a lot of violence and aggression against them enough that they had to several times abandon their settlements and continue going west. And consider that they're abandoning their settlements and going west like in covered wagons mm -hmm. into the great unknown. Also consider that at this time here, I'll just read this one little bit. Anti-Mormonism can be seen as part of the deeper and violent intolerances of the 1830s and 1840s, which was also turned against Masons, Roman Catholics, Native Americans, and Blacks in the free North, right? So consider we're in pre-Civil War, mostly Missouri, which pre-Civil War Missouri was maybe the worst place to be as far as conflict in general goes, because Missouri was in a physical war with Kansas over pro and anti-slavery. Missouri itself was solidly 50-50 pro and anti-slavery itself. So it was fighting itself. Then it was fighting Kansas. That At that time, Missouri became a slave state because Kansas was becoming a free state and they had to keep the balance. There was just a huge, like people were having bloody, bloody, bloody battles all the time. There was just very high tension in this area. So for the Mormons to be coming through and being like, hey, we're the only true religion, people were like, not today. So it was, I think it was very badly timed. Um, I think a lot of it was that. I think it's really mm -hmm. important to consider the historical context, which is pretty weighty. So uh, when Joseph Smith died, um, Brigham Young took over the church. Now, at that time, a couple of other people splintered off and a couple of other groups splintered off with those people. And so there are existing to this day, tiny little offshoot Mormon churches that developed from that off splintering of Brigham Young taking over. But 95% of the, percent of the population, that's the number I read, uh, followed him. And he led them on into what would become Utah and what would be called the Mormon Corridor. Basically, he colonized a large desert. Yes. Right. Which at the time, nobody else wanted. So they. Day. Yes. <laughs> correct. So, um, yeah. So at that time, they went and set up out in Utah. They made it a, a, a thriving, amazing place. And they quickly grew their numbers to about one hundred and fifty thousand people, which is pretty impressive. Um, in 1852, church leaders publicized the previously secret practice of plural marriage. Um, and over the next 50 years, Mormons were marrying into plural marriage as a religious duty, as because you'll remember, you can't get to certain levels of heaven without being in plural marriage. And then you can't get to higher levels of heaven without being in plural marriage with a certain number of wives. Right. So. Right. So that so whether or not they liked the idea of plural marriage, they were practicing it at this time. Also, it was a real practical thing because there were so many single women by the time you're out halfway through, you know, a dangerous countryside in your wagons. There were it actually worked out very well for them to have lots of women with one partner because there were lots of women to be had. 
Yeah, I, mm, I, you're right. I do want to just say really quickly that I've got some, I've got some exclamation points that come up in this part of the history for me because of the ages of some of these wives. Um, oh yeah, I, yeah. I want to call that out. Like, mm-hmm. listen, I'm, I'm not going to continue to address like the people that are Mormon throughout the entire episode because it's going to get get on my nerves. You have to own it. Unfortunately, like it's just yeah. part of the history. It's proven fact. It's not. An untrue statement. Uh, Joseph Smith took wives that were very young, even by standards of those times. Yes. Um, and so that's the only, and the only reason I bring that up when you say there were plenty of women is because oh, yeah. if there were plenty of women, certainly. I'm wondering why we were marrying 12 year olds. Um, well, it was, and, it was egregious. Uh, yeah. 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 So I um, just, I only bring that, it's a long time ago and it's not happening now in the church, which is very important, but Joseph Smith was a huge advocate of it and had pretty much no regard for the age situation, um, which as a feminist looking from 2023, it does bristle the feathers a bit. <laughs> One would think you wouldn't even have to be a feminist. <laughs> Gosh, I'd like to think so, Jesse, <laughs> wouldn't you? What a world that would but, be. Sorry for the sad sidebar, but I just had to throw it out there because they weren't all women. You're absolutely right. You're right. I, I misspoke when I used that word. And, um, you know, it's worth noting that Joseph Smith had over 30 wives and Brigham Young had over 50 wives. Now, an advocate for them would tell you that they weren't all real wives and they were taking in right. poor widows and being nice to them. Right. Um, they still basically owned their wives. So I would I would wonder what the personal dynamic was. So. Right. I wouldn't say that history at this time has looked super kindly on the narrative of those wives it hasn't necessarily Mm. it hasn't necessarily shown exhaustively that they were really content in those positions true um especially with brigham young i would say yes i've heard worse things about him as a husband yes yeah i've heard some bad stuff i'm sorry to be such a downer wow let's i'll have something positive to say next lds i promise (laughs) (laughs) um all right so they got very public about their plural marriage that was a bad call it it didn't go well for them in 1857 u.s president james buchanan sent an army to utah which Mormons interpreted as open aggression, which you would after so many times of being slaughtered by other people. So rather than run this time, they stood up to defend themselves. There was what was called the Utah War from 1857 to 1858. Brigham Young agreed to step down from his position as governor and was replaced by a non-Mormon. Um, and in 19, that's that's how the war ended, was he, he gave up his position of power, uh, state power, to mm-hmm. a non-Mormon, and that calmed the government down. In 1878, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in Reynolds versus United States that religious duty was not a suitable defense for practicing polygamy. Um, so at that point, the church didn't stop practicing polygamy, but it said it did and went and put it back into hiding. Um then in 1896, in exchange for granting statehood to Utah, um, they made a second statement that said, okay, no, really no more plural marriage. <laughs> I love, I do love, I really do love how many times we got to like, Hey, shh, no, no, stop. Enough, enough, <laughs> enough. It's, it does crack me up. <laughs> um, so here's a little bit of why they thrived so heartily during this time. So again, we are talking about um, uh, they settled land that, nobody else particularly wanted and i don't mean to discount native americans i'm sure that they wanted it and i'm and yes and they were there however it was a desert it was not a highly populated area so it was a much less contended uh area 
And so they were able to live in relative peace. Also, when the rest of the world was in a civil war, they weren't even a state yet. And so they didn't really have to even pay much attention to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they were able to, not only that, they provided a huge amount of stability for people fleeing what was an extremely unpredictable, unstable world, you know, and then what came after the Civil War? Well, a whole bunch of other unrest all the way up to the Great Depression, in which there was even more like there were so many decades of unrest and uncertainty. And the Mormons were just thriving the whole time. So here are some reasons they thrived. Like the Shakers or the Amish, they set up cohesive, economically self-sufficient and largely self-governing communities, setting themselves up not simply as a group of worshipers, but as a people apart. It also reflected the strong current belief. Oh, at the time, don't forget when we're talking about the early to mid 1800s, it reflected the strong current of belief in magic at the time and the occult and Mm -hmm. in the reality of spiritual visions and divine signs that was widespread in the culture at that time. Also millennialism end of the world stuff was very popular at the time. And so it actually really booned. It was a boon for their numbers to be really into it. Remember, this is when there was like table tipping and seances and like all the things and Mormons are real into that. So um, it actually, it, it has been uncovered that, um, Joseph Smith's family had a long and notable background of being involved in using seeing stones, using dousing rods, using magic, using witchcraft. Like that was, I'm not saying your founder was a witch or anything like that. Again, would be a compliment if I were, but he was, his family was well known to be just like super into magic-y witchy stuff, Um, which worked out well for him in the time that was really popular at the time, which I think is kind of cool. Um, above all, it provided desperately desired structure for lives beset by unpredictability, disorder, and change. It gave its adherents enormous social, psychological, and economic support. In social terms, in fact, Mormonism can be seen as perhaps the most successful, dynamic, and enduring version of the communitarianism of the 1830s and 1840s. Because remember, when all those religions were being established, they were pretty much all setting up communally. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. so and it really worked out for them. Um, it provided isolated, struggling, often desperate families from economically changing or declining countryside uh, with a new kind of economic security and cooperation. It practiced a form of economic communism in which the church held property, uh, held title to all property and possessions, which sounds not great. But even when they abandoned that, the, uh, the church owner, like, so for many, many years, I think decades, um, the church did own everything. But so what would happen is that uh, people would come in and be like, all I have is this wagon with three wheels left. And the church would be like, cool, there's 40 acres over there. You're a Mormon now. And that's how people would just plug in and thrive. And then there was so much community support and they really did culturally set themselves apart, partly because they were polygamous families. So they really weren't like merging into the rest of the outside culture. Plus geographically, they were pretty separate. So um, it, it worked out really well for them. Eventually they allowed people to, they stopped having the church own everything and let people own their own private property. But even then the church would still set people up with a land stake when they came in and said, I'd like to be a Mormon. So um, Mormons extolled hard work and discipline and soon offered tangible proof that it would be uh, that 
work would be rewarded with solid and secure prosperity. Also, all adult males possessed the franchise equally. They didn't have um, specially trained or paid clergy. And so Mm. anyone who turned 18 and joined the church um, was given the gift of the priesthood. Right. So Mm. it was it was available to everyone, which is a much more they have an extreme hierarchy. They love a good hierarchy. But in some ways, it was very egalitarian in its dispensing of like spiritual validation. You're a priest. You're a priest. Everybody's a priest. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Not so for women, but women weren't getting anything anywhere. So, you know. Right. Yeah. It's all the same to them. That's true. That's very true. (laughs) Um, In modern times, so there was a big swing post the 1800s during the early 20th century. Mormons began reintegrating into the American mainstream. So then at that point, they realized they'd maybe swung too far in the pendulum and they were starting to not want to look polygamous and they were uh, starting to not like being othered as much as they were being. So they started to emphasize patriotism and industry. They became middle class as opposed to lower class economically as they were Um, in the 1920s and 1930s. They began really bringing in a lot of people as people were escaping the great depression. Um, In addition to weekly worship services, Mormons began participating in numerous programs such as boy scouting, a young women organization, church sponsored dances, ward basketball, camping trips, plays, and religious education programs for youth. Uh, during the latter half of the 20s. So so that's in the early, like the first half of the century, they were like, oh, we've swung too far. We've got to get back into mainstream America. They got up right. to about the 50s and they really, they really loved those 50s. As you might imagine, a mainly white, male-led, hierarchical, hmm. middle-class group of cutoff people might love the 50s. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> might might really find that to be a lovely time in history for them. Um, yeah. Also, far to the north where they probably didn't even notice a lot of the struggles going on for people mm-hmm. of more southern climes. Um, so, yeah, they really love the 50s. Post the 50s, though, they started to swing back the other way. They started to see the 60s and the 70s, and they went oh, we're too involved in the world. The world is uh, damaged. It's violent. It's dangerous. It's scary. It's crazy. There's drugs. There's sex. And so they started to swing back into being very politically conservative. Um, At this time, they started having their young men go out on the proselytizing missions that you see them on all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're ever out anywhere and you see two young men on bicycles with black pants and a black tie and a white shirt, those are Mormon boys and they're on their mission. I believe it's two years. Is that right? It is. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, it can be a little different per person depending on what your personal walk is. But yes, mm-hmm. I think that it's the, that's the standard time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's so they they really swung back over to conservatism by then. And they've basically I feel like. If I'm looking at the Mormons from the outside and I don't know anything about them um, and I I'm just looking at them and I, I go visit, say, Salt Lake City for an easy example. I think that I would feel like I was somewhat thrown back to the 50s, um, very placid, very uh, restrained, very calm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Would not draw me in. 
However, if I know that they've got all these crazy secret magic things in the background, which they do, uh, I would be super about it. So I made up an advertisement for them. Um, ah. Yeah. In my head when I was going over this, see, see if this will draw you in. Mormons, okay. they're ladies in the streets, but they're Freemasons in the sheets. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Now that is an interesting way to hook them. <laughs> I love it. I think it's accurate. Um, okay. So here we go. Oh, now, now we're getting into the stuff that I really like. Mormons adhere to the word of wisdom, which I love. First of all, if you call it a word of wisdom, I, you've already got me. Um, it's a health lock or code that is interpreted as prohibiting the consumption of tobacco, alcohol, coffee, and tea while encouraging the use of herbs, grains, fruits, and a moderate consumption of meat. Mormons yes. are encouraged to keep a year's supply of food and financial reserves. The concept of a united family that lives and progresses forever, this is it, that's core to the Latter-day Saint doctrine. So Mormons believe that when your family is sealed together, which is a ritual in the church, you are together for eternity. Mm -hmm. um, which I just like completely effing love. I can't get enough of it. Uh, Mormons place a high importance on family life. Many Mormons hold weekly family home evenings in which an evening is set aside for family bonding, steady prayer, and other activities they consider to be wholesome. Did you ever watch Big Love? Yes, I did. Yeah, same. Love it. Want to mm -hmm. move there. Um, but one of my favorite little aside things that the wives say sometimes is the husband's like, I'll be doing this, blah, blah, blah. And they say, that's family home night. And it was like my favorite. I want somebody. I want to have family home night. It's just me and my son. So like every night is family home night. But I just love the idea of being like, oh, I can on Tuesday. That's family home night. Yes, I love that, too. That's a joke that's in. Oh, my gosh, I'll probably get in trouble for even bringing this up. But if you don't know anything about Mormonism and you have a uh, brash sense of humor, I highly recommend watching. I'm going to get in trouble for this. The South Park episode on <laughs> Mormonism. It's really funny. It's actually a pretty good high level explanation of it. And if you have a good sense of humor. It's not that bad. Um, but this is a feature of that episode, too. And it's really funny how they're they're, they're always like, they're just like the perfect family. Like everybody else in town is like, why is this family so nice? And they're just like, why don't you come over? And like, we're going to do all this lovely family bonding stuff. And everybody's like, why are they being so nice to each other? And it's just hilarious. Um, so yeah, this is, this is like, I feel like this is how we would identify Mormons too. Whenever I was growing up, which they weren't as common in the Bible belt where I was at, because yeah. I don't like, I don't think this is going to surprise anybody, but Mormons are actually in conflict a lot of times um, with evangelical people yes. because some of their theology is in direct competition with each other. And if you come from a church that believes like the Holy Bible is paramount, you're not going to like the Mormons mm -mm. religion. The Mormons are fine, but the religion you're not going to like because they're presenting Basically sacrilege, it would be yes, underneath your to, religion. Yes, I'm not correct. saying it is, but to your religion, it would be. So you don't see as many of them, um, but literally the way that you could identify them was that they were those families who were just like the nicest and would do the most for you and invite you over and literally give you anything that you needed, mm. um, which is a great reputation to have. Shout out, shout out LDS. Very good. I feel like they're like the Weasleys and I'm not a big Harry Potter person, but like they really prioritize having a lot of children they're pretty chill. I'm yeah. And and also yeah. they're secretly into magic stuff, which I can't get they're enough. They're secretly of. into the magic stuff. That's very true. <laughs> which takes me to it. today's Mormon beliefs. Mormons believe in 
a, quote, friendly universe governed by a God whose aim is to bring his children to immortality and eternal life. Mormons believe in a pre-mortal existence where people were literal spirit children of God and that God presented a plan of salvation that would allow his children to progress and become more like him. This plan involved letting the spirits receive bodies on earth and going through trials in order to learn, progress and receive a, quote, fullness of joy. The most important part of the plan involved Jesus going through that same process. And then uh, they believe eventually every person who lives on earth will be resurrected and nearly all of them will be received into various kingdoms of glory. Right. So remember, heaven, too, is hierarchical. So you'll get into some level of heaven with your sealed family to be accepted into the highest kingdom. A person must fully accept Jesus Christ through faith, repentance and through ordinances such as baptism and the laying on of hands. Um, yeah, so that is, that's what they believe. Oh, here's something I starred. Mormons dedicate significant time and resources to serving in their churches, a prominent practice among young and retired members of the LDS churches to serve as a full-time proselytizing mission, which we just talked about. Mm. Mormons have their health code that we also talked about, which I love. Uh, they tend to be very family oriented and their, all of their actions reflect the idea that they are sealed together beyond death which I think is fabulous. Um, I do. That is like my favorite part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just love it. When I got married, uh, it's exactly what it's how I viewed my marriage and my family. And that was an intentional choice that I decided to take from the Mormons. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's fair. They I love the divinity of the full family. And I think that that shift as opposed to like the more evangelical background where there's like an acquired divinity that you reach in as an individual right you'll hit salvation you'll hit that Mm -hmm. point or you're baptized into salvation at a young age i what i do really love about the family framing the familial framing of um the latter-day saints is i feel like you can really see that like we've already been talking about in their day-to-day like that really plays out because because the divinity is not like the man is the head of the household and the spiritual leader. I mean, he is, right? But the man is the but in in evangelical Christianity, for instance, as an example, the man is the spiritual leader of the house. The wife doesn't have spiritual claim at all, usually. <laughs> so sorry, but usually she's just there helping. Um, and then the she children the she's the helpmeet. And then the yeah. children, they, like I said, they become relevant as they obtain salvation, depending on mm-hmm. what you're working with. Um, but in Mormonism, no, the children are relevant to your salvation at every stage, and as children are relevant to your salvation and the divinity of your life. And I think that, and this is a I'm really about to say something very extreme, but I feel like I have seen the most graceful handling of some of the most catastrophic things I've ever seen happen to families in my life from people in this religion, probably because of this mentality, probably because of this mindset. I mean, like child loss, that sort of unbelievable sort of pain handled so gracefully and with so much like faith and hope being shown through it in not one instance I can think of, but like many. Um, And, I think that really comes down to their their emphatic belief that the family has that divinity that's sealed in um, to eternity. I think that's really yeah. beautiful. I I agree, and and what a what a great way to um, uh, curtail people bailing on their families prematurely because yes, you know the idea that it's it's not 
like, oh, I'll spend this next 40 years with you or I won't. Like, no, no, it's eternity. It's forever. Yeah. (laughs) You're not doing none of that, buddy. You're not getting out of here. No way, no how. Yeah. Or if you do, I'll see you 40 years later when we're both dead. So that'll suck. So maybe that'll suck for you. Yeah. You better be a little more careful with that. Yeah. I think it's, I think that's so cool. And I am, um, yeah. I'm very, I'm very into this, this part of the theology, I would say. Yeah. Um, so I'll read you a little bit more. The LDS church has a top-down hierarchical structure with a president prophet dictating revelations for the entire church. However, all Mormons are believed to have access to inspiration and are encouraged to seek their own personal revelations. Um, they do believe that God directly answers their prayers and they feel that God t- talks to them in their hearts and minds through the Holy ghost. And I, I have this other quote that I pulled over to when you were talking about, you know, seeing them handle difficult situations with grace. So you guys don't have to come for us. We know that the Mormon church has a lot of history that is problematic. Even more recently, I, I think it was just in the seventies that they said that black people could be, um, and I, they don't say people of color, they say black people. So I'm, that's what I'm saying. Um, uh-huh. I don't think they're, they, I don't know if they knew at the time that there were other also people of color. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't even realize what you were saying at first that I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, right. you know, they were one you're step right. at a time. Uh-huh. Um, so they, so somewhere in the seventies was when they said that black people could in fact also, uh, achieve the priesthood. Now, there have always been black people in the Mormon church since the very beginning, but they didn't let them have a priesthood, which I think is interesting. Um, So they changed that in the 70s. Um, More recently in the 2000s, in the aughts, they um, didn't say that it's okay to be gay, but they did dramatically changed their stance on the children of gay people were then allowed to be baptized in the church, whereas before they were not until they were 18 and not under the covering of a gay family. Mm -hmm. Um, They also made a lot of allowances for people to still be Mormon and identify as LGBTQ. They still don't say it's okay. So I just want to read you this quote because I thought it was a useful... That was still a big listen. I understand that they've got steps to take. I'm not suggesting otherwise, but here's a quote that I thought was nice. It said, while we cannot change the Lord's doctrine, which is their hardwired belief, we want our members and our policies to be considerate of those struggling with the challenges of mortality. Right? Like you live in a body regardless of yeah, I hear it. I don't know. I don't, this is this is one I'm where not, they lose me completely. Like I'm not going to go down a trail on this, but like the more the more I look into this stuff and learn about this stuff, the yeah. more that I think that this is like like the denial of the priesthood, like allowing yeah. them to be active members of the church that were still contributing to the church but didn't have this advancement opportunity. Um, yeah. That's wrong. And they knew it was yes. wrong at the time. Oh, yeah. And I just simply don't have any like I just don't have any patience for that, I guess, um, would be one thing, even though I understand the historical context of it and that everybody's going through it at the time. It's like, well, you still got to hold it, though. That's the that's yeah. the hard thing about being a young religion is we can look at everything that's happened. Nobody can look at Jesus's tweets and get onto Jesus about the things that he was liking on the Internet. Um, but I mean, obviously, we can't do that with Joseph Smith either. But we just have a way more accurate record of stuff that happened, which 
only serves to hurt the LDS community, I think. Um, yeah. And I'm sorry for that, guys. That's a really tough burden to bear. To bear, and you guys are carrying it with a lot of grace. Um, that being said, yeah, this is a this is a big black mark. I would say this is probably for, for me. Um, I don't mean that in an ironic way. I think that the way that this this was handled, and then the way that different and this is the part we won't go into the weeds on LDS groups have interacted with people of color throughout history up to present not well done um all the way down to the text in the um in the book of mormon that said that they aim to be a what a white and delightful people i think is, is, yeah, that <laughs> is a that, that is a direct textual reference uh from the book of mormon so i will i will finish up my statement about how they treat people of color with just that quote from the book of mormon and we'll call it good <laughs> Ooh. oh guys guys yeah, it hurts it hurts Whew. You can't See do that, friends. You can't. <laughs> hey, Latter-day Saints, work on it. Work on Just it. Just this this is a note. This is a note. And and obviously, gosh, every American religion history, it's got issues with this, right? This is a department like I mean, listen, the, the Bible has instructions on how to best treat your slaves. So that's exactly nobody's, right. nobody's on any said. high horse here. Perfectly said. That's exactly the point I was trying to make. And you said it very eloquently. Yeah, nobody's in the clear here, but this is definitely a question mark gray area historically, I would say. Yes, I think I, I read that quote from that uh, um, Mormon elder just because I have moments yes, where yeah. I'm like, fuck it, it's black and white. And I have little moments where I'm like, thanks for trying, old guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I understand what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I was having one of those moments, but no, everything you're saying is true. Okay. Now we're down to the stuff that I'm actually super into, which is like, what is the actual life of the Mormon? Right. Which, and so they did, they did develop most of their, they have a whole bunch of secret rituals and a whole bunch of inner temple stuff. They've got a lot of costuming going on. They Mm -hmm. developed alongside and specifically with the Freemasons. So they have a whole bunch of like weird, literally occult related uh, roots. Now they have certainly diluted to an extreme their um, rituals by this point, but they started out real freaky and they're still not real chill. So I just think it's fascinating. So first of all, I want to tell you their, their list of holy books. And here's a little blurb that I'm going to read you first. Mormons have a relatively open definition of scripture as a general rule. Anything spoken or written by a prophet while under inspiration is considered to be the word of God identically to the Bible. Um, thus the Bible written by prophets and apostles is the word of God so far as it, as it is translated correctly, but so is the book of Mormon. And so is any writing by an active prophet who is under inspiration. They are equally the word of God, which is an interesting break from every other, every other mm-hmm. religion that I can think of. Um, so their books are the Bible, the book of Mormon, the Book of Doctrines and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. The Pearl of Great Price mm-hmm. uh, contains the Book of Moses, the Book of Abraham, and Joseph Smith's writings. Um, a few little things that I think were interesting about the Pearl of Great Price. One says that Adam was baptized and given all the future doctrines, including believing in Jesus. Um, <laughs> sorry. Nice. I'm sorry. That's rude. I'm, You know. Okay, that's that's the tenant there. So he he believed in Jesus, um, pre Jesus. 
Um, and that Abraham was taught astronomy by God and went to Egypt and gave it to the Egyptians, which is why the Egyptian uh, society go. is so advanced. So now we're yeah, into those some are, fun stuff. Yes. Right? Now, this, now this, this is, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're doing it. I'm not going to start yet. I'm going to let you finish, but I'm so excited because this stuff is both the crazy stuff that I love. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. also the stuff that actually has the deepest roots with my problems with them in an intellectual oh, way. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so, and I'm not going to say what it is yet because you're, you're covering it so well. So like, let's just, I'm loving it though. You're doing a great job. I'm very excited. <laughs> I'll bet you'll, I'll bet you have some things to add. Um, sure. Also, they generally as a rule, fasting is a big thing for them. Mm-hmm. And as a generality, they tend to fast on the first Sunday of each month, which I think is yet again, so many religions have health rules that are really healthy for you. And I really love that. So, yeah. And I also love um, any any sentence that I can start with a we, like we always fast on the first Sunday. We don't drink caffeine. We don't smoke tobacco. Mm-hmm. Makes me feel like uh, I, I'm obviously part of a larger picture. I'm in a group of people who knows how to live their life better. It makes me feel really good. So I envy the Mormons the ability to say things like, we always have a year's food supply. We fast on the first Sunday. We are careful what we put in our bodies. I really like that. Right. Um, let's talk about underwear. Yes, it's time. Oh I love gosh. it so much. I want it. This is I where want we want it. our LDS people to skip forward because we're definitely not talking about this thing that you're never supposed to talk about. It's fine. <laughs> Move on. No one swore me to secrecy because That's I don't true. have any sacred I underwear. I don't have any either. That's 100% true. I want it. I want it. Somebody send it to me. I will wear it all the time. I just think it's the coolest thing ever. Here's let me here's tell me where why I go with this. I, yes, I was like, I want to hear you talk because th- I know I'm sure you have a great reason and I want to hear you explain it. Oh, I don't know if it's great or not, but here we go. Okay. <laughs> just imagine this is your religion. So you are not kidding about it. You believe it. And you have been taught this since you were a child. Oh, yeah. You have a magic undergarment that when you put it on you are encapsulated by god you are safe Mm -hmm. you are powerful Mm -hmm. you are um righteous Uh uh-huh imagine walking around all the time in your physical little outfit that makes you feel safe powerful righteous at all times and it's coded because it's not like you're Amish and you're outward presenting. Right. You can probably walk through the Walmarts of other towns and nobody will ever notice it. But other Mormons will always see the lines under your clothes. Mm-hmm. They'll it, always know. It's a signal. For it. mm-hmm. It's a, a bit of a I, the, the term dog whistle doesn't exactly apply here, but it's the same idea. It's it's it is an identification marker for sure. I love it yeah. so stinking much. So just p- power underwear. I can't say enough good things about it. I love love. It. Love the power underwear. Love that that's how you said it. Power underwear. That's my mm-hmm. new way to refer to it as well. Um, I am someone I'm not going to say what it was because it is but I am someone that when I was growing up I had something that was denoted about me that that was like a, a powerful like you're to the same effect of the garments okay is what I'm saying okay, okay I had something about myself and it was 
Um, it's just a thing about me. And I had a choice in preserving it, maintaining it, and other people could see it. Um, but they, but it was, yeah. And I did feel really empowered by it. I will, I do want to represent just for a split second that it was a real mixed bag for me because I both felt really empowered by it at times. And at times I felt very like, observed or like like you're saying how Mormon another Mormon would always see like the lines or something I've heard about a lot is like being hugged by like male members of the church oh, who will like rub your back to see to if you're wearing that. the garment lines. Whoa. Um, yeah. So I have a little bit of resistance that comes to yeah, my when mind like when that. I hear about this because it, it and I'm not saying I think it's men and women. This isn't really a gendered thing necessarily, though I'm guessing like all things women feel in disproportionate amount of it. Yeah. Um yeah. It is male and female, but I there is some. I love the magicalness. I love the power. If you believe it and you're all in, I think it's so cool. And I love that it's intimate and just for you and secret. Um, all of that is so perfect. But I do just want to, yeah, just point out that one line of like that almost like, are you doing it? Are you checking that box that says you're a good mm. ex, good person, or are you not? And it can be really hard, um, especially later when you're like re- yes. de- deconstructing. Yes. This is this can be, I know that the garments can be a really challenging point. So I just bring that up to, to present the balance. But I love I love the lore of it too, and I honestly wish we could all have some. I wish we could all wear like lingerie. I wish it was, you know, that was branded and and was like this is my divine lingerie, and it was like yeah. empowering. <laughs> So when I was little, yeah, (laughs) for sure. You know, I've, uh, listen, I just, if I like something about a religion, I try to hard, I try hard to integrate it into my own beliefs and the Mormon LDS belief of eternal marriage and family. I've just glommed onto, I love it so much. It's how I've chosen to view my own family. And it is partly why I was so obliterated by my divorce because I was like, (laughs) But eternity. That makes sense. But (laughs) Um, what about the, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Made it really hard. Um, But I have tried to just convince myself that I could just consider my own undies as sacred. And I haven't been able to talk myself into believing it. I think I need, I need the community support of, of communally recognized sacred underwear to really buy into it for myself. I think the community aspect is really important. There's just nothing quite like it for better and for worse. Whenever you are surrounded by a group of people that all have this understanding that there's Mm -hmm. some identifier about you that matters and is intact. That's like, it's a really interesting. Yeah. I remember being in my bag as like a, as a devout woman where I would be like, everyone's looking at me and they know I'm holy, you know, like I remember that. And it felt good. It felt yeah. real good. Honestly, there are a few highs like it. Um, mm-hmm. I hear acid is close. I'm kidding. That's a joke. Um, but I felt yeah. both. I can tell you they're different. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never heard that acid was close to be clear. That was just a total left field drug reference from someone that doesn't do uh, those drugs. So tough to say. But, Mushrooms might get you there. Okay. All right. That yeah. might be it. That might be the divinity I'm looking for. <laughs> um. Yeah, man, I just, when I was little, uh, this, this probably dates me, but I had something called underoos. Are you familiar? I think I actually am familiar with underoos. I, um, yeah, I do know what those are. My parents joined their cult when I was maybe five or six. And so 
previous to that, I was, I got a glimpse at normal mainstream world and that's when I had underoos. And so yes. I don't know past age five or six, if underoos were always a thing all through the eighties or if they dropped off because I dropped off. So I don't know whether I think they were big or not. They were pretty short lived from the look of it. Um, okay. I did look it up to see, yes, it was just in the eighties and it was pretty short lived. But I did know what they were because they did a resurgence of this in the 90s when I was a kid. And I had ah. sort of my, it, they weren't, the underoos had like the theming on them where yes. they were kind of like, they're like a superhero or something. Yes, very yes. Cool. Um, and then they did like an, it wasn't called underoos, but there was, it was called something really similar that they did in the, when I was a kid. And they were like, instead of being characters, they were like brightly patterned or they just had like mm. cute little things on them for kids. But they would be like the cami and yeah. like boxer or underwear combo for kids. For those who don't know what this is, um, it's like a under. It's like an underwear set for kids yes. that's more Cammy full coverage yeah. than some of them are like for the boys. Sometimes they'd be like full shirts almost yeah. too to go under. So it was almost like you could like sleep in it, or you could be it could be your underwear, or it could Correct. be depending on how modest you were, any range of things, I guess. <laughs> so I had a pair of Wonder Woman underoos, and it was like the blue undies with the white stars and then just the full like red cami top with the gold, you know, yes. Eagle looking thing. And this was, you know, I had TV until I was like five or six. And so I did watch wonder woman and I, I had my wonder woman underoos and they were so vivid and so awesome. And I wore them every single chance I got. And I, when I had my under woman, my, my wonder woman underoos on underneath my clothes, I, thought I was Wonder Woman. And Aww. I felt so I mean, I'm like four, you know, right. I felt so powerful. And so like, sorry, mere mortals at the grocery store, you don't know that I'm Wonder Woman, and you're not like, that's so sweet. I, I think all kids should feel like that all the time. <laughs> I, I agree with you. But I think that's how I'd feel if I had sacred underwear. And I want it so badly. P.S. I showed everybody my underoos constantly. And it might be why my parents joined a cloistered cult. Well, okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That is something to consider. <laughs> something to consider. <laughs> That's so funny. I kind of All want right. to find our own adult versions of underoos and just be like wearing them now. That's just kind of what I want. Maybe that'll be like the, I told Jesse we could make some shirts, but maybe what we'll do is make our branded <gasps> underoos as March for the, for, for Colts I joined instead. <laughs> I'm going to look up the yes. drop shipping. <laughs> I Cameron. Make it so. Okay. I'm on my last page, but this is okay. my favorite page. We're on Ooh. Temple Rituals. Hello, okay. Temple Rituals. Yes. So there are a few really well-known ones. There are many secret things. They always say, I guess this is a common phrase in LDS, it's not secret, it's sacred. As in, no, it's not a secret, but we're not going to tell you. So. Great, great, good. <laughs> But no secrets, it's just sacred. So um, so here we are, we're talking about temple rituals. Baptism is obviously a big one. Um, baptism can happen at home for families with children, but baptism by proxy is very common in the Mormon church in the Latter-day Saints. Uh, baptism by proxy or baptism of the dead, perhaps you've heard of this, mm -hmm. uh, was a big controversy a while back. Why was it controversial, Amarin? Baptizing the dead? Do you, oh, do you not know? I just assumed you would know because you're the trivia girl. I can tell you. Oh no, I'm I'm saying I I'm mainly saying 
Yes, you should tell me, but I'm mainly saying I don't think we have to elaborate too much to explain why baptizing the dead might be good. <laughs> that, okay, but please, what, what was your official definition or um, explanation? The problematic part of baptizing the dead, aside from the fact that they are not there to assent, is that they decided that they felt bad for Jews and Native Americans for not being able to go to heaven and uh-huh. so got lists of their names and just started retroactively baptizing all of them for their sakes which is also known as niceness what grave digging grave robbing <laughs> that's pretty serious offense yeah that's not <laughs> not well, good guys they were uh. baptizing their corpses what they do is they have stand-ins Oh, thank God. I honestly didn't know this part. I didn't know if they were unearthing them or straight up. (laughs) So this is way better. If they have a proxy, I'm like, all right, what? I'm still not good, obviously. It was basically just condescending. Um, So they got like lists of like a whole, but like thousands of people of other religions, mostly Native Americans and Jewish people. And then they had people get baptized in the church by proxy for, you know, Bob Rabowitz. <laughs> and the, like they'd baptize him. Now dead Bob wow. Rabowitz is actually a Mormon. And thank yes. goodness now you can go to heaven because before you couldn't. You're welcome, Bob. And then they'd go on and on with just, I mean, thousands of names. So they were just, they were Good. baptizing everyone onto their religions. And when, you know, people's families found out about it, they were like, Thank you, no. <laughs> uh, we're so good on that, though. Yeah, that yes. makes sense. Yeah. So when you get baptized, obviously you get dunked. It's a full immersion for them. Um, then you receive the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands. Then you have a different thing, which is like, I, I believe it is a second half of the baptism uh, process, which is called your initiatory. This is where you're symbolically cleansed with water and oil to be pure. That's when you get your new temple name and your undies. Mm. So before you can get your undies and your temple name, you have to be, you have to go through your initiatory and be cleansed. Now, now when you go through your initiative initiatory and are cleansed, they just put a drop of oil on you, rub it in, put a drop of water on you, rub it in. It's a symbolic cleansing. However, there are old bathtubs in the temples from when they used to make you get naked and then get coated in water and then coated in oil, which I think is a better ritual. And I think it should have stood, but they've really literally watered it down. Yeah. So they used to do it naked and they used to touch a lot of parts of the body as they went through all the magic words. Um, So that became problematic. And then they switched to like what they called a covering, which was like a, a white sheet, narrow stopped at your shoulders, head hole, totally open on the sides. And that was your covering. Then you'd do the same thing. And then they just switched to just a, a drop on your head. So that bums me out, but they're probably relieved about it. Probably a good call, even though I don't know. It's weird because I'm a big ritual person. And when I was like inducted into societies that I was inducted to in college, 
I wanted them to be like full hooded candlelit ceremonies where we like slit our wrists Same, and obviously. put it all into a goblet. You know, like that's what I want. Um, so sorry that I said that so graphically. Um, I didn't actually mean to use that phrase and I did. And so then, let's move on. Um, would, would there be cats next? Would there next be cats? There would next be cats. They would come in as well. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, but so that's my cult. But no, I, I, I love that sort of thing. I will say that I, again... I um this this specific statement is coming from um a variety of friends that I have that have gone through this process and have talked to me about it later um more than one who did not like the touchy touch um did not mm-hmm. like the process and and mm-hmm. yeah younger people that went through some of these experiences to di- varying degrees right that just were like yeah, that was an uncomfortable experience and kind of scary. And like what could be kind of magical if you have the high level view of it, I think can become terrifying if you have certain amounts of information withheld from you or a certain level of distrust for like, if you don't have complete trust with the people doing the ceremony, which I don't know if always is the case. Really? Um, yeah, true. And I think that I always have the Pollyanna version in in my head, you know, of like, well, and then yeah. you're naked and you get coated in oil and it's really sacred. And then like yeah. this 100% pure and trustworthy person who isn't vibing anything weird does no. really sacred things. And right. you're right. Like, which is probably the case a lot of the time, you know, like you're probably, it's not like you're talking about something that doesn't exist, but right. there's just like, I think that there's just many versions, if you will. Right. Like, I think we're talking about the full spectrum when we talk about it right. like this. Because I think on one end, I'm sure there are people that have gone through it and straight up came out of that like, oh my gosh, like, that was the greatest moment of my life. Mm-hmm. I've been confirmed. This is everything to me. I'll never forget this. I'll think about it for the rest of my life. And it was pure magic, pure just beauty. And then I'm sure there are people that are like, all in all, hated it every second <laughs> what well, it's trash you know and both are valid experiences <laughs> two stars would not recommend yes that's some that would be some of my friends responses i think probably if they could provide a little retroactive Aww. hi Emerson's <laughs> mormon friends hello um, the next one is the endowment this one lasts an hour and a half um, and endows you with power to cope with the challenges of life and prepares you for receiving more knowledge from god Again, this sounds really empowering to me. Like, well, I've been endowed, so I guess I can handle this. You know, one of my favorite phrases that I've learned through therapy, and I say it to my son all the time, is you have what it takes to get through this. You have what it takes to get through this. You have what it takes. Not like solace, I'll help you get through this. Because I may not always be there, and I never want him to think he can't do something without me. You know, I want to set him up to feel like he can handle life. I often feel like I cannot handle life. It is my Mm -hmm. biggest problem. Me Um, too. Yeah. And the phrase, I have what it takes to do this, feels very powerful to me. It really is a helpful phrase to me. And I think to my son. So I say that to say a ritual called an endowment, which takes an hour and a half and endows you with the power to get through and cope with life would psychologically be a great helpful thing. So I don't care if it's a placebo, that placebos can be helpful. And that's why. So I think that's That's really great. Um, I like the idea of it Um, takes place in what's called an endowment room. Um, The instruction, let's see here, there's Oh, you go. So first you have instruction on creation and the fall of Adam, which is a movie. 
So you watch a movie about creation and the fall of Adam. Um, And then you learn about the higher commandments of God in the movie. That's why it takes a while. Um, Right. That checks out. (laughs) Then you symbolically progress from mortality to the celestial kingdom. Um, While you're in there, you also practice your secret handshakes and your secret passwords. And you're wearing, are you ready? This is costuming. You're wearing, now this is whether you're a man or a woman. You're wearing white slippers, white socks, white pants, white dress shirt, a white bonnet for men, which looks like kind of a small chef's hat. Okay. um, or, Or a white veil for women, a white voluminous robe, and then a green apron over that. And a white sash over that. And the green apron represents the fig leaf that Adam wore, except it's like a whole front big oh, apron. Oh, okay. So I guess Adam wore like a really modest fig leaf. So he was quite covered. Okay. Yeah. So in your endowment ceremony, you're wearing white slippers, white socks, white pants, white dress, white bonnet, white veil, white robe, green apron, white sash. You watch a movie about God and Adam and commandments. You symbolically progress from mortality to the celestial kingdom and you practice your secret handshakes and passwords. Then you enter the celestial room, which is the most beautiful room in the temple. And everything's white and quiet and everybody had to kind of go through a little journey to get there. And then you just feel like you're really close to God. Mm. I like that. Big time. Big time Um, like that. All right, I'm getting to the end of it. There is obviously the sealing ceremony where people are sealed together in marriage. So people often have, uh, well, people, if you're going to get married in the Mormon church, you are getting sealed in the temple. And then outside of that, people usually have like uh, a ceremony for other people to attend, right? Because the sealing ceremony is very closed off and private. It's only your, um, usually just your, either just the couple or the couple and maybe their closest family members Uh, And if there are pre-existing children, the children are there as well because it is a sealing ceremony. And Mm -hmm. so even if you have pre-existing children, they are uh, eternally sealed into your marriage. So the sealing, so Mormon temples are huge and they have all these crazy different hidden rooms inside of them. So there is a sealing room um, in the, it has an altar in the center of it and chairs along the walls. Then it has large mirrors on all the walls to reflect the couple into eternity. Oh, I like that. I, I like it too. So That's you kneel cute. facing each other and you hold hands across the altar. Um, all the family members are in all white. Then they're eternally sealed. And that's the sealing ceremony. It's so cool. I love um, that. I love it too. I just super love it. Um, now, last little thing, the canceled rituals. Uh, there are a lot of them. I'm only going to mention a few. Um, they're... <laughs> There used to be what was called the Five Points Fellowship. So as you'd go through the curtain from one magic room to a different level of magic room, you would have to meet the person in the middle of the curtain and basically establish five points of contact. Like your two Mm -hmm. inner feet would touch and then your two inner knees would touch and then your hips would touch and then your shoulders would touch and then the side of your head would touch. Five Points Fellowship. Um, All right. Then somebody would act out the part of a Protestant preacher who would try to lure you away like, hey, maybe you should try Protestantism. And you would be like, get thee behind me, Satan. And then 
you would go through the door. They stopped doing that for two reasons. One, people felt like their bubbles were being violated, <laughs> like their personal space bubbles. I could see that. And yeah. two, they realized it was insulting to other religions <laughs> to name them as Satan and cast them behind them. So ah, <laughs> that's one that came through to them as a thought. They were like, whoa, maybe. <laughs> so wow. they stopped doing that. Got um, it. And then here's the last one. Um, they have also canceled this one. But you used to, in almost all of the private ceremonies, part of it would be to mimic either slicing your own throat from ear to ear or mime disemboweling yourself. Oh. And that's also part of the one of the secret handshakes is a cupped hand because, in theory, you're holding your own bowels that you've cut out. And that is part of your ongoing vow to slaughter yourself graphically if you ever let out the secrets of the church. Okay. Yeah, that seems totally fine and normal yeah. and nothing <laughs> weird or overblown about it. Yep. Yeah. The following. Yeah. Let's move on to something more more exciting. Would we? That's yeah. actually, that's the end. We've reached the end. Um, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> never mind, I guess. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That is one of the canceled. So um, they've really taken it down a notch. Basically, the Mormons have taken it down okay. about 15 notches. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like if I met... You know, uh, Utah basic Mormons in the streets, my initial uh, reaction would be, you seem very nice. You seem like one of those people from those movies about a 1950s town that everyone is secretly a space alien. Ah, uh, yes. This isn't really my jam, but it's nice to meet you. You make a great casserole, right? Um, yeah. However, if I knew that this exact same people doing the exact same thing were wearing magic underwear which i don't mean as an insult i mean nope. that's cool they're wearing magic underwear they all know a bunch of secret passwords and handshakes they have elaborate temples with elaborately designed magical rooms in them oh yeah now i'm all in i'm all in you got me it's perfect um yeah okay i love it i love it Hmm. Amara, okay. are you joining the Mormons? No. Or, and um, share your thoughts because I've blabbed this whole time. <laughs> no, you're good. I um I so I do want to say one thing that I said that was high level, and it's and it's high level, but it's like a big part of the issue that I have with the Latter-day Saints personally. And it's all historical slash theological. And it has everything to do with the um with the Native Americans and um their group basically i would say is a big part of it um i think that where they lose me big time um and i think this is one of the reasons that i refer to them as a very american religion also like obviously we've got the journey west and then we've got the relocation and the like there's just a lot of things that make it a truly american story yeah. but um one one very American thing is the fact that they also, like everybody else in America, wouldn't just let the Native Americans exist and be their own people. Right. They were like, they're ours too. Um, and yeah. they believed that the Native Americans um, were, and I, we kind of touched on this, but they believe that they once had the truth, once had salvation, then rejected God and lost it, causing all of their suffering, their fall from grace, including oh, all of the Indian man. Removal Act, everything that was happening at the same time was the fault of the Native Americans because of their lack of relationship with God. And they preached that the Native Americans would come back around eventually if they just uh, like 
proselytized to them enough, basically, um, because they had this all these things in common. And they preached that their entire their entire time. And in fact, I don't know how they justify that now. Um, ultimately, the reason why I don't work in the LDS church is because I ask too many questions. Um, <laughs> it causes a lot of problems with a lot of religions. That's okay. LDS are not question asking Right. People no, they're not. at this time, right. unfortunately, Absolutely. that is and that I would say is the biggest lack of alignment is that for me, I need to be I think I line up more with the Judeo tradition if, in that way, which is like a constant seeking and proving for what is right, um, mm-hmm. which at some point Mormonism did uphold and believe in. But at yes. this point, they have changed and gone back on to say no revelation is ever complete and we can never fully reveal the truth, basically. And. I think that I wouldn't call it lazy, but I would call it convenient um, to say we can't ever reveal what the truth is just because. But we did try to in the past and it was wrong. And it's definitely not correlated with that in any way, um, (laughs) which I'm sort of joking, but it's not a great look and it doesn't really instill confidence in people like me who are cynics and are really out to ask questions and prove for themselves what's up in a religion that they're going to apply to their own lives. Um, So they lose me there and they lose me on the women's issues that we've already talked about. I won't go into detail, but just like the uncomfy stuff and similarities to other evangelical things that I'm not a fan of. Um, They lose me there. They win me on so many angles, the general demeanor of every Mormon I've ever met. That's a win. Gotta give it to them, right? They're awesome. Mm -hmm. They're so cool. Something's obviously working. Um, There is a general spirit of awesomeness that I see with every LDS um, saint that I encounter. Um, So I, so you know, there's a lot to love. These are people that I. This is another group that I'm like, I welcome you to my dinner table. I want to talk about this stuff. I want to be in conversation with you. I think this is so interesting. I think what you believe is really interesting. And I want to hear about how it works in practice in your life. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that is totally. Um, yeah, I think I, th- I think that's just how it goes sometimes. So I think this is just another one where I, I and like I said, history isn't kind to the LDS group in that we have such a 4k view of history for this group unlike Mm. some some groups so i I just want to call out all the components and say it's a complicated relationship i think it's a really interesting religious belief system and i think it has a lot a lot of potential it just loses me in the way that it plays out historically several times i would say as someone to just confidently say i would join well, I will add, I, I forgot to bring this up while we were talking, but when I when I gave you Talking Salamander as a clue, um, mm-hmm. and that one didn't register fully for you, I think the reason for that is that the religion does not involve a Talking Salamander. However, um, in the recent past, I think maybe in the 80s, 90s, uh, there was a guy in the Mormon church who, of course, like they, we went through this, they consider any document written by a prophet to be equal in in power to the bible um Mm -hmm. and they consider some of their documents to be lost they are currently looking for some of their documents right and so this guy within their church who was big into document dealing forged like a shit ton of documents and many of them were church documents and he wrote a letter that there was a talking salamander it told joseph smith a bunch of shit and they took it 
verified it as real without getting real verification for it because they're so into that kind of thing. They skipped the due process and and took it at its word and were working on incorporating a talking salamander into their religion when he got nabbed for producing fake documents and they had to like let that go. There were car bombings involved. It was a big deal. It was huge. You should watch. There's a really interesting documentary about it on Hulu and yes. I think on Netflix, actually. If you haven't seen it, the car bomb, it's very interesting. It's yes. riveting. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, worth considering that a new religion is so beautiful and so cool and so evolving and so fresh and so interesting. And also like maybe potentially pray to more scamsters because everything is new, including whatever somebody might just juggle right into the mix. So interesting. Um, Mormons, you have me at uh, sacred underwear. Yep. I assume a profusion of lemonade undoubtedly yeah secret rituals really cool temple uh wearing a lot of white this is where you've got me i'm in yes 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 i'm mouthy though so you probably won't keep me fair but i would i would do my best i would do my best and that's all you can ask really that's all you can ask (laughs) yeah and full disclosure i'm really talking about this so that next season we can talk about the FLDS, which yeah. is the Fundamentalist Church of the Latter-day Saints. Because I have a lot more to say about the FLDS. Ah, <laughs> oh, we're going to be on different sides of the fence because I will join them tomorrow. Oh, no, Jesse. Okay, yeah. No, there's got a lot of... <laughs> we are on opposite sides of the fence on that one for sure. <laughs> we got some different... But I think... I don't know. I don't think we're on opposite sides of the fence. I think that what we always discover when we talk about these things is that we're really similarly aligned in a lot of ways and appreciate really nice things that exist in these groups. And then, like, I am just, like, being too realistic, I think, usually. I'm just being <laughs> too, too much of a... Re- I'm just like, well, yeah, but they take one look at me and then they'd be like, you gotta go, you know? <laughs> that's, and that's true for the FLDS. I would maybe get into a fist fight on contact with someone that announced this to me. So we'll see. This is a lot. <laughs> So we'll cross that bridge when we when we <laughs> when we braid our hair and attempt to that's, cross it. That's a little bit of a foreshadow for all the <laughs> listeners at home about the level of aggression I plan to bring to that episode. I'm just kidding. Oh, guys, get ready because <laughs> I'm already breaking out my dress patterns. She's I'm ready. She's um, <laughs> I will say, like, I think what you know, you and I always come to is that what we really love is community, and the LDS Church is so good at community. Um, so our chef's kiss hats off to you, LDS, for your your sense of community. We would love to see you get better at extending that to more um, diversity of people. Work on it faster. Work on it faster. Yeah, yeah. do that. That's all we ask. Yeah, I'll bring the lemonade. I'll bring the lemonade. I'll bring um, something that isn't soda or carbonated, but somehow is checking those boxes. I'll make something that involves mayonnaise. (laughs) I'll bring my best pound cake. Is that? (laughs) I'm trying to think of offerings that I could provide. I think that'd be good. Maybe an aspic. I'm trying to think of 1950s recipes. A jello mold. I yeah, like a jello mold that has the full meal in it though. 
yeah. <laughs> Savory jello mold. Whoa. Mormons, let us know. Let us what know. What do you think, guys? What are we bringing to the cookout? Head, hit us up. We can't wait to talk. <laughs> yeah, we're into it. We're into it. We oh, are yes. into it. Have we us like, over yeah. for a potluck if you would. Please. We will be nothing but annoying with our multitude of sincere questions. We think you guys are fun. We sure do. And thanks for um, letting us do a high level conversation about what is a rich and storied past. Man, the church. What a so ride much to talk you guys about. have had. What you guys have ride. had a lot going on. And it's you, you literally like there. I felt overwhelmed when you told me that this was the con- well, when you when we figured out that this was the concept for today, the topic for today, mm-hmm. because I was like, this is such a massive conversation. Oh, for sure. I have no idea how to even accurately like I'm sure I'll listen back to this episode and be like, well, why did I say that and not this or like yeah. one of the other 50 things I could have said? Because uh-huh. truly, you it's guys too big for this hour and a half it's massive it could be talked about it could be its own podcast i'm not exaggerating it's that rich and diverse in terms of sides so like also where jesse and i are coming from like slightly different planes on this Mm -hmm. that's also because there's so much to talk about like i alluded to earlier like there's literally just that much depth to what's going on and i don't mean to surprise anybody but human beings are flawed sometimes so we occasionally see problems in not my church not my uh, yeah. church but never others. me not i uh <laughs> nose goes on that one but um yes it does happen but yes thanks for letting us get down and dirty with the deets of uh the latter-day saints <laughs> uh amarin aesthetic one to ten Mm, okay, actually, not a bad aesthetic rating probably coming from me. I'm probably going to give them a six, which is not crazy high, but for me is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only that low because we don't see like unified costumes necessarily. Right. Um, but I do love, like I already said, I love a lot of the shared pieces. I love the general aesthetic amongst each other. And I like the idea of family being promoted in spaces and the way that you can see that play out. So that's what brings us to a six. What about you? I too am a six um, because uh, like you said, you know, you don't really see it from the outside, but so I can't give them a real high rank, but I really love, I'm sorry to harp on your undies guys. I'm sure you get it all the time, but I love that uh, the undies are such a cue card and that they're not noticeable to others per se, but they are noticeable enough to each other that it's a secret, secret little like nose nudge. And that is a great culty outfit, in my opinion. Good thinking, whoever came up with that one. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, one to ten zaniosity. Um, uh, ten. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Mormons get a ten, and I'm yeah, guys. If you're surprised by that, again, just consume some literature on Mormon history or watch a show or something because. We barely scratched the surface we of did, the zany yes. nonsense and not nonsense, very serious sense that you can get involved with in the history. Yeah, I think full 10. I think these people, I, being such a young religion, they set the, they are the book on how to yeah. be a zany group. Like, yeah. for good and for bad, you got it all going on over here. They are like the rock stars of the world of new religion. Amen. That's why they have their own Broadway musical that's about them, right? Who else has that? When you're right, you're right. I know. Jesus does. Congratulations on your Broadway musical. (laughs) We're really happy for you. We know it's derogatory in some ways, and I've actually never seen it. But congrats on what is, 
I'm sure contributing in some way to you being the fastest growing religion on some level, right? I don't know. Maybe. it's All I know is that I've heard about that play my entire life. My entire life. So it's pretty, it's always around. Hmm. Yeah, we don't live in the places where it visits, but <laughs> no, I've never been. But it, but it, but does I hear it goes to some place? <laughs> yes, I will go to it when I can. All right, guys. Um, I think that we have done all we can to talk about the LDS Church, given that it's kind of stop now or talk for another twenty five hours. So, with that, we say LDS, give us a call. Give us a call, have us over for dinner, and we'll record take two on this once you've wined and dined us. Well, not wined us, but dined us. Yeah, clean water. Clean watered and dined us. Non-spicy food, chicken pot pie. Little unseasoned chicken pot pie? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) See you guys there. (laughs) Okay. All right, we've got the menu planned. Uh, Amarin, you're the best. Listeners, you're our faves. You're quite pretty, Jesse. Ah, guys, Quite. if any of you um want to do some Mormon stuff, hit us up. Hit us up. <gasps> we could do we could just have like our own little rituals and handshakes all the time. That's true. No one's stopping us. All right, guys, let's work it out. We'll see you on the Facebook. See you soon. All right, peace. Ooh, If you are loving Cults I Join and want to help us share the fun, here are some actions you can take. Subscribe and share the show on any podcast platform. Rate and review us on Google. This keeps us visible and gives an angel its wings. Or at least that's what our guru says. Follow us at Cults I Join on the .com, the Facebook, and the Insta, and then hit us there with all your comments, discussions, and questions. We really do love hearing what you think. Finally, a huge thank you to our co-creators. Editing and post-production is by DeverWeb, and the biggest thanks to the incomparable Miss Devin Spruill, our theme song creator and performer. You should go soak up her music right now. And that's it, y'all. Thanks for listening, and happy culting! Cult, I join.